0: brothers and sisters and friends of the truth. We're certainly glad to be here this morning and it's been a long time that I've been wanting to come down here to Arkansas and and, uh, see the actual Bible school and the surroundings so we're finally here and we certainly bring the love and the greetings of the Richmond Forest Hill Ecclesia and especially my sister wife Lori, she would certainly love to be here and send her greetings. Uh, my other daughter, Jessica, wanted to come too, but she couldn't get away from school. But we're certainly glad to be here this weekend and good to see some faces I haven't seen in 20 plus years and meet some new people too. My task with you today is to share with you an introduction to the first three feasts of the Jewish religious calendar, and being up first, we felt that it would be important to give some kind of introduction to the overall picture of the Lord's Feast before just jumping into them with both feet, and this should put our minds on the same wavelength, and hopefully our thoughts will gel together as the morning goes on, and I might add that when asked to give these talks on the Feast, my first thoughts were that it's was going to require a lot of studying, and it wasn't anything that was fresh in my mind or that had been recently studied or reviewed by me. And after preparing for these classes, I realized there's a great deal of information that in no way will time permit us to investigate all the various lessons that we could gain from the study of the feast. I felt at times when reviewing the information that my, my head was going to explode. There's so many details in there. I have to acknowledge the help received from Brother Roberts of the Law of Moses and Brother Bud Ross notes on the Feast of the Lord. But even with those references, uh, there are some minor inconsistencies which shows the depth of the subject at hand. And hopefully we'll hit on all the main points uh, this morning. However, there are many things that could justify uh, much more in-depth study. One comment uh, we already have made that we should spend a few minutes on, I mentioned that we will be discussing the first three feasts of the Jewish religious calendar we're all familiar with the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, meaning the head of the year that just recently occurred in September. And this is the Jewish civil or the secular year where the actual number of the year changes. So even though we have had the we have the feasts that Brother Tom will cover following very closely behind the beginning of the new new, new Jewish year. They're actually at the end of the Jewish religious or ecclesiastic or festival or sacred or ceremonial year. So you can see the different names for the same thing up there. And this is important as we look at the overall progression of the feast and the teachings of the types that they present. Looking at Exodus 12, 2 and 13, 4, 12, 2, and I'm going to try to have most of the references up on the uh, overhead so you won't have to turn them up. Uh, I know uh, he's, somebody said we were on a tight schedule, so we uh, have a lot of information here, and I hope we finish in time. That, that's kind of my worry, but uh, we'll, we might have to speed it up but. Hopefully this will help having them on the overhead. Twelve two. this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And 13-4, this day came ye out in the month of Abib. So we see where the month of Abib is the month that the hand of the Lord brought them out of Egypt. We might add here that when considering the feast... There are a lot of different words used to represent one thing or another, which can make it quite confusing. So here, Abib is the same as the month Nisan, Abib being the pre-exilic name, so Abib or Nisan is the biblical rush, Hashanah or head of the year. Just to add another piece of information, this is the time of the latter rains coming before the barley harvest. The former rains being when the barley was planted in October or November. And again, this is one of those points that we're going to have to gloss over. And not all writings are in agreement to which are styled the former and the latter. Some thinking the latter rains being in October when the fall feasts begin. The importance being how we would consider certain scriptures that mention the former and the latter rains. So hopefully you're not getting confused already with all the different names so let's try to gain a broad overview of the Lord's Feast the late brother Bud Roth presented the subject at the 1971 Kentucky Bible School and if anybody is interested it's available in PDF format on the Truth Gleaner website I think we have brother Mac to thank for getting that up there It's surprising that he got all that information covered in a week's time. He brings out an important thought that there are at least three outstanding progressions in the revealed Word. They are the Creative Week, the Mosaic Tabernacle, and the Feast of the Lord. Each one covering the same basic theme, but revealing it in a slightly different manner, such that the divine teaching is understandable to the human mind. The three progressions reveal one, the overall period of salvation, two, the way of alienation, the glorification, and three, the principle and order of redemption. He further states that the first and the third progressions represent a time element where the second does not. So in our study of the feast this weekend, we will be looking at the feast of the Lord representing the principle and order of redemption. Within this principle and order of redemption, three stages of glorification are revealed. That of Jesus Christ, which we think would be what Brother Bud Roth meant by the principal redemption. That of the brethren of Christ, and that of the natural subjects of the kingdom. So we can see the element of time that would be involved with these events occurring at different time periods. Christ 2,000 years ago, the brethren of Christ or the saints and what we hope will be in our lifetime, and that of the mortal subjects of the kingdom in the future age to come. As with most things in the scriptures, When we are studying the Feast of the Festivals of the Lord, there is a natural and a spiritual understanding. Leviticus 23 outlines the Feast of the Lord that were to be held by the Jewish people. The feast could be a confusing study since so many dates are involved. Details are scattered in various chapters of the Bible, and as we mentioned, different names are sometimes used for the same feast and they have teachings or meanings beyond the idea of just having a festive occasion, which requires some effort and time on our part to see their significance or their importance. To the people of Israel, these may have been joyous gatherings, but they also understood the importance of these events to Yahweh. The idea of having these feasts as an annual event caused them to stand out as an important aspect in teaching in every Jew's life. Unfortunately, the importance of these feasts may have lessened over the years, becoming known as the Feast of the Jews rather than the Feast of the Lord. Leviticus 23 is the only place we have all the feasts listed together in chronological order. Now, I didn't put this overhead together and don't necessarily agree with everything on it but it's up there so you can just look at it for information and see the Feast of the Spring and the Fall Festivals as they are laid out up there in that uh, chart. We continue through the year uh, with the Feast in chronological order to the last Feast of the Ingathering which in type shows a progression of events which should be important for all of us, covering the life of a believer from the beginning of his walk to the ultimate culmination of God being all in all on the eighth day. We should now we now should see the importance of the Jewish religious or festival year beginning in Abib or our March to April time frame as it puts Passover At the beginning, rather than the end of the year. So, if we took the Jewish year as just recently started, uh, their civil year, that would mean that the fall feast would be coming first, when the proper order begins with the spring feast. So, that's the importance of the the religious uh, year beginning in March or April or with April. And as we get a little further along you'll see see why this has to be the order that's represented uh, by the spiritual teaching involved. We should mention that the Hebrew word for feast means appointed times, and the timing of the feast was tied with the agricultural seasons. They are also based on the lunar calendar, which is why the dates change on our calendar each year. Abib means an ear of corn, or green ears, and is around the time of March 31st and was the time of the ripening of the barley. This also gives us a clue that the festivals were tied into the agrarian lifestyle. How many feasts are there? Adam Clark lists five in his preface to Leviticus, Bullinger and Schofield list seven, and the Christadelphian writings that I found consider six, but maybe not. Clark seems to combine the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and others seem to separate these two and count the Pentecost as a feast. Brother Bud Roth listed what he said were five feasts and one Memorial Day. Passover, Unleavened Bread, Weeks, trumpet, and the Atonement, and then gathering he also points out that the Passover is referred to in the scriptures as the feast of unleavened bread and he believed the Passover is part of the feast of the unleavened bread and we believe that he followed the writings of Robert Roberts in his book in the law of Moses in the common language of today the term Passover can mean the preparation time before the day of Passover and in and can include the entire week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Weeks is also known as the First Fruits harvest and sometimes is included as covering the Pentecost or 50 days following the beginning of the Feast of Weeks. As we mentioned earlier, having these feasts annually, the teaching was that the things signified in these feasts related to their whole life. The will of God required these things to be a part of their lives and was a necessity for those that would be acceptable to God to adhere to these feasts. In Exodus 23, 14-17, through 17, we see that it was a requirement for the males to keep three feasts during the year. It says, Three times thou shalt keep the feast unto me in the year, thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread, Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded thee, in the time appointed of the month Abib, for in it thou camest out from Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. In the feast of harvest, the feast first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field, three times in the year, all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. So we see that the first feast to keep was that of unleavened bread. Passover is skipped, and we might ask for what reason. With that thought, we will transition our remarks to that of the Passover. And hopefully we didn't spend too much time on the overall aspect of the feast, but sometimes we need to view the whole picture before we can zoom in to some of the details. Passover is the foundational festival, which all the other feasts follow or build upon. And thus again, that's one reason that it's at the beginning of the year. One of the key points to consider is that the actual Passover only occurred one time. One of the most important and celebrated festivals of the Jews that was and is celebrated annually is really a memorial celebration. The actual Passover itself occurred with the angel of death and the tenth plague, the leaving of Egypt, coming out of bondage, being delivered by God's appointed messenger, Moses, a type of Christ. This may be the reason that we, they weren't told to keep the Passover, but rather the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is the actual Passover itself was a one-time event. This aspect should have us thinking of a very important one time event in our lives. Passover is interesting in, in that the event happened very quickly and transitioned into the next day, which began the feast of unleavened bread. So we see the events prior to or preparing for the Passover, which were much which was where much of the time was spent and it's from this viewpoint that we will consider the Passover. Reading from Leviticus 23, 4, and verse 5, These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which he shall proclaim in their seasons. In the fourteenth day of the first month, at even, is the Lord's Passover. So it was held on the fourteenth day of the first month. And if we read from Exodus 12, 1 through 11, we find a few more details. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house, And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it unto the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take... Of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses where they shall eat it, and they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. Eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So what was the Passover? We knew that there was a Progression of plagues delivered to the Egyptians and the efforts of Moses to have Pharaoh let the Jews leave Egypt and the bondage that they had been under for hundreds of years. As God hardened Pharaoh's heart, he would not let the people go. And the last plague was that of the death of the firstborn, both of man and beast. Every family of Israel in Egypt would be visited by the angel of death. Up until this point, the Jews had been spared several of the plagues that fell on the Egyptians. There were also several that they had to endure as well. This last one would fall on them as well as the Egyptians, unless they followed the prescribed way of the Lord Yahweh. It is possible that they suffered some of the other plagues as a warning, and to make them believe that they would not be spared by this last plague. Had they not suffered any of the previous plagues, they may have been inclined to think that they could escape this final plague as well. There was a way of escape for those that would listen and adhere by strict compliance to the instruction of the Lord. It was a requirement of of faith that following the Lord's instruction would deliver them from this plague. An interesting point to file in the back of your mind is if you think about the seventh plague, that of hail, it destroyed all the barley and the flax in the land of Egypt, but not in Goshen. But the whole wheat and the rye were not destroyed because they were not grown up. So that gives us another indication of the times and the seasons uh, of when this Passover occurred. The lamb was to be chosen... It was to be killed, roasted over fire, and eaten in the prescribed manner. The lintel and the two side posts of the door were to be sprinkled with the blood of the slain animal. And every person was to remain in the house until morning, not just the firstborn, but every person. When the destroying angel of the Lord came and saw the blood on the lintel and two side posts, he would pass over the door and not enter the house. What was to be a tragic day for the Egyptians and those of the Jews that did not follow the commands of Yahweh turned into a day of celebration for the faithful Jews. There are several details mentioned which are worth considering. A male lamb without blemish was to be taken out from the sheep or the goats on the tenth day. Sometimes we miss the point that the animal could have been a young goat or what we would normally call a kid. The original Hebrew word, S-E-H, refers to a young animal of either the sheep or the goats. Of course, we know that this was representative of Christ without blemish, representing a character that was pure or sinless. Some have said that by separating and keeping the lamb for four days until it was to be slain, the time was allowed to examine the animal thoroughly for any imperfection. We don't know that this was the real reason for this time because what would you do on the third or fourth day if you did find some imperfection? You wouldn't have another three or four days to pull out a lamb uh, to examine it. We think that there must have been some attachment that would have grown for the lamb before it had to be slaughtered making the sacrifice stand out that much more in the people's minds as they fed it and cared for it in their homes for four days. This may have some type or meaning relating to the time that Christ spent in his ministry before his crucifixion, maybe the three and a half years of his ministry or maybe just a few emotional and traumatic traumatic days just before Christ's crucifixion that was spent with the apostles. But certainly, an important point to take a look at and try to understand the meaning of it. The Israelites had to slay the lamb and take a hyssop branch and dip it in the blood and sprinkle it on the door. You can imagine the people of today and the reaction to doing something like this. I'm sure, Peter would be right at their door, too. Then they had to eat eat of this animal which they had taken care of for four days in their house with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, leaving none until the morning. And if there was something left, which I would imagine would be at least the bones, these were to be consumed in fire. They were to do this with their loins girded and the shoes on their feet, ready to go, ready to leave the life of bondage and not look back looking forward to the new life and the land that they would have. That was the natural occurrence. What is the spiritual lesson? This is the first step of the believer, coming out from bondage, the bondage of death and Adam, only made possible by the sacrifice of Christ and the shedding of his blood. Preparation had to be made beforehand And we have to follow the commands of the Lord just as they did. Ultimately partaking of Christ's sacrifice to the fullest. The aid of the slain lamb representing the atoning element of Christ's blood. The unleavened bread representing his innocence and sinless nature and the bitter herbs a symbol of the suffering that they endured under bondage and also pointing to that suffering that Christ would have to endure in his mortality. We were baptized into the likeness of his death. And as they were prepared to enter the wilderness journey, we also entered our probationary period in the first part of our journey in our service to God. The hyssop being used to sprinkle the lintel in the doorpost shows us that these things are to be done in truth according to to God's word. Psalm 51.7 says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. We can't help but notice that the blood was not placed on the threshold of the door. Hebrews 10.29 may shed some light on what the meaning of this most likely is of how much sore punishment suppose ye that he will be thought worthy who have trodden underfoot the Son of God and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and some of your script uh, Bibles may have in the margin where that represents something that's valueless so they count the blood of Christ as being valueless and have done despite unto the spirit of grace Of course, this wasn't written at the time of the original Passover, but we're confident that the people recognized the importance of the blood and took great care when applying it to the post and the lintel that it didn't splash or drip on the threshold where they would then walk on it. The Passover lamb was killed the 14th day of Adib. Or the evening of the fourteenth day, which was not counted as part of the seven-day feast period of unleavened bread that was to follow. So there appears to be two phases to the Passover. The preparation leading up to the sacrifice of the Passover lamb and the partaking of the Passover meal or eating of the lamb and the unleavened bread. If this event was done according to God's word in the proper manner and understanding what he had told them to, with the proper manner and understanding of what he had told them to do then their household was passed over by the angel of death and they were to continue with the feast of unleavened bread the very next day. So the Passover itself was the foundation of for a continuation of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Without partaking of the Passover, they couldn't continue with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Only those that partook of the Passover meal and remained in the house would escape the promised death of the firstborn. Is there not a lesson here relating to the firstborn in Adam, the firstborn in all of us, being deserving of and subject to death but being provided a way out of being provided a way out and of salvation by becoming the new creature born through baptism in Christ having the hope of life everlasting through the blood of the everlasting covenant and being passed over of the death promised of those in Adam What are some of the other details that we are told of the Passover? Preparation took place days before the Passover. The lamb was chosen and set aside in the fed. Families may have joined together if they were not large enough to consume an entire lamb. The Jews borrowed gold and jewelry and took a spoil of the Egyptians. All leaven was removed from their houses, and unleavened bread was prepared the whole assembly of the congregation sacrificed their land at even, meaning that it was not just the priest that offered the sacrifice, but someone of the family. Also, the phrase in the evening was from the Hebrew phrase meaning between the two evenings, which was a period of time from noon until the termination of twilight, according to Adam Clark. And this that's kind of a, a difficult thing to understand. They actually had two evening periods, right? After the sun set, there was another period, uh, I guess only about 30 minutes long, between the sun setting and becoming uh, actually dark that they referred to as twilight. So this was the period uh, between the two evenings. The lamb was roasted over fire, not raw or boiled, whole with the head, the legs, the legs, and the pertinence thereof, which would most likely mean the entrails or the organs in the internal parts, and the flesh was to be eaten that night in haste. None could be taken out of the house, and no bone was to be broken of the animal. Of course, we see the type in that. Death came at midnight, and the people were not to come out of their house until the morning, and many more possible types than we have to that time to discuss are found in these details. Some are rather obvious, such as what we mentioned with no bones being broken, as we know it was to be with Christ. I'd like to mention one more thing that we thought was of interest. We know the Passover details lead us to Christ. and We all have a great interest in how God's prophetic word is accomplished. When we look at the Passover today and some of its customs, it is rather easy to get confused. Even after reading and rereading these passages several times, it is still somewhat confusing. And the fact that many do not agree just adds to the confusion. One thing that struck me was all that had to be done in such a short period of time. The preparation and the quick flowing of one thing right into the next. Thinking about the events that took place at the time of Christ being the Passover lamb, we know that many things took place at night. And I've not really considered the timing of the Passover coincides with the full moon. So if the first of the month began with the new moon, then two weeks later, the 15th of of Abib, we would have a full moon. Which would allow enough light if you think about all the Christ went through at nighttime, uh, there would have been uh, the full moonlight out. So that would have provided ample light for the movement of the people and the things that were taking place. There was one comment that the Jews did not keep Passover in accordance with the scriptures. And again, this is through the studying of the many things that I was reading over, the suggestion was that it was supposed to begin on the evening to begin the first day of the 14th, and not the evening that ended the 14th. So if we think about the Jewish day begins actually in the evening, and then you have the night, and then the next next morning, and then you have what they referred to again as the evening which began at 12 noon, and that's commonly when the Passover was uh, celebrated uh, today, but somebody suggested that it should have been on the evening before. In some ways, that would answer some questions, but at the same time, it would introduce some other questions, like if they took a, partook of the Passover the evening before, how would you tie that in with the fact that they would have to slay the lamb and prepare it again uh, in time to eat it? All that would have to really be done after it was dark. One question would uh, also come out from that is that how they were supposed to stay in the house until morning. Other places mention of the urgency of the Egyptians to get them to leave, which we know came after the death of the firstborn at midnight. So how would they have had time to borrow all of those things from the Egyptians that they mention in the scriptures, and then also their references to them coming out of Egypt at night? So if they were to stay in the house until morning, how could they come out of Egypt at night? So if they had killed the Passover lamb or eaten of it at the beginning of the day, that would possibly make some of those things fall in line. But again, it would cause other things uh, to be a little bit more confusing. If we consider the Passover being 24 hours earlier at the beginning of the 14th day, then that would change the timing of other events. Certainly this is an interesting study and worth looking into because we know there was a lesson in the teachings of God that he gave to the Jews and we know the fulfillment came with Christ. What we don't know is what the Jews were actually practicing with the Passover as it was intended. But we also know that Christ during his lifetime understood perfectly what the original teaching was and how it was being practiced. One day our hope is that we will find out all the answers and many other questions. I hope I haven't confused you with all the dates. It's one of those things that I think you, you need to study and as you get into it, um, more and more questions come up and as you go from one thing to another, you realize that not everybody Agrees on all of the points. Uh, One thing that I read mentioned the uh, the accounting of the days, and in the scriptures when they talk about certain timing of the days, were they speaking of it in the Roman uh, time frame, or were they speaking of the timing according to the Jewish uh, timing? So those things can can confuse a lot of the details. And I know I probably went over a lot of these things much too quickly, but the types are the important things, and we do feel that the time will soon be here, and we will hear the words of the Lord from Matthew 25, 6, where he says, And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out and meet him. Thank you.